Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Cogill, and today I look at the new post-World War I drama. It's about a childless Australian couple who find a baby <laughs> in a basket. Starring Michael Fassbender, Rachel Weiss, and Alicia Vikander, all good actors. And it's called The Light Between Oceans. And an intense new World War II spy film. It's based on a true story that takes place in Czechoslovakia, and it's called Anthropoid, starring Cillian Murphy. Nine wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. Both films this week have a historical war reference, so if you're willing, we'll toast a few wines with a historical story. And we'll look back on one of the greatest film legends of all time, the great Gene Wilder. The great Gene Wilder. Can't wait to get there. Yeah. Let's talk about this new film. So we saw this together, The Light Between Oceans. So I think Michael Fassbender is one of the best actors on the planet. Sure. I think he's can do no wrong, and he's always really good. Alicia Vikander won the Oscar Supporting Actress for Danish, Danish Girl. Danish Girl, last year. Right. And then Rachel Weisz is an Oscar winner. Absolutely. And, and incredible. We just watched another film with her, um, Youth. Yes. It was fantastic. Yes. Youth is a great film with Michael Caine yeah. and, and Harvey Keitel and Rachel Weisz. So, The Light Between Oceans, you know 30 seconds into the movie with this big music score and these vistas off West Alexander Australia. Alexander Desplat, uh, music score. Great music composer. And you know it's, uh, you just have this feeling it's going to be big, tragic, really <laughs> slow. Not Howard's End slow, because I love Howard's End. That's a great movie. But there's something about this movie that y you just, they, they flash everything in front of you right before they tell you. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much foreshadowing going on in this movie. But but every it's once in a while It's not very subtle. Everyone it's not subtle at all. And every once in a while I like a good tragic novel turned into a movie. I'm not sure this is the one for me. So here's the story. It's just after World War One, and Michael Fassbender plays a, a World War One veteran, and he's shell-shocked. I mean, he's got so much stuff going on, and he's sad, and he's morose, and he just wants to be by himself after watching all of his friends die in World yeah. War One. So yeah. he takes a job as a lighthouse keeper <laughs> on an island for one. By himself. By himself Completely on an island. Himself. It takes a 100, it's 100 miles by boat, and he's the only one there, and they keep warning him, you're going to go stir-crazy. And, of course, he comes back to get some supplies and meets a girl, Elisa Vikander. They fall in love, and she moves out there with him. They get married. Yeah. And other than – well, I guess I could tell you just a little bit more because they, they say all this in the previews sure. on the commercials. Sure. So they want to have a baby in the can. Yeah. They want to have a baby in the can. And next thing you know, a little dinghy washes up on shore <laughs> with a dead man in it and a baby in a basket. All wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they take the baby in. So it's the big moral dilemma. What do you do? do you, right. is, is that the baby you never had and you want? But somebody lost their baby. Well, and she's, and Alicia Vikander is in complete postpartum because yes. she's now lost two children yeah. to miscarriage. And all she wants, the, the only way their life will be complete is if they have a child. But, of course, they can't just go through Adoption, because who in the world would give a baby to a couple living by themselves on an island? Right. And they've got a dead body to deal with, and they've got a boat to deal with. And, yeah. You know, it's all it's all meaningful, and you want the best for this couple, because they're a really sweet married couple living by themselves. And and we've been to Hawaii a few times. We like the idea. I love being. Being out in the corner, <laughs> there's the ocean, leave me alone kind of thing. But they're living this lifestyle. And then the music swells. And then the, you know, and then what are they going to do with the baby? And that's, that's about the furthest I'm going to go with this. But it's a big tragic novel turned into a big tragic film. And, and after about 45 minutes of it, 
I started to want to poke my eyes out. It it was about a two hour film that felt like three and a half hours. Right. It's, <laughs> it's I, very I was, slow. I was thinking every and there's I think rainy day movies for a female audience are out there, and they used to make them a lot in the eighties and nineties. They used to make a lot of these kind of tragic, sure, and based on popular novel right. love stories. Nicholas yeah. Sparks kinds of. <laughs> well, that would be the low end for fourteen year old girls. <laughs> But but they you know they they made a lot of these things and 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 they don't make these movies very often anymore and there's probably a reason because the crowd that loves all these superhero movies are so ADD they're not going to sit they're through not these. well and I'm not that crowd but I I do think that this was a little bit this was a little slow well I thought it was also pretentious well and and I think it's just if you're gonna don't just let me let me figure some things out let me use my brain a little bit right. I, it it's certainly it's you know you kind of have films that they're either just pure entertainment or they're thinkers and this i don't, I don't really know where this falls yeah. <laughs> in between so did you two. well up with tears at all in this movie i mean there's a few things that are, you just kind of because you feel for people and you feel sure. for the loss and it, it, there's so much tragic going on here I don't know that I was ever emotionally connected enough to to any of the characters. Yes, that's my point, is that when you watch this movie, you should be... I mean, I don't care how slow it is. I right. don't care how tragic it is. If it works, it works. Well, and if there's good storytelling, I mean, right. I think that it's it's why we cry at every CBS Sunday, at every every segment done within CBS Sunday morning because it's good storytelling and it's engaging and it's mm. and it's meant to to draw you in and and present whatever the story is usually in a very finite amount of time but you're completely yeah. you're 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 in you're you're completely a part of of whatever that story might be and and I'm not sure who actually wrote this script, but I, I, it, I think the actors were the great actors. Well, it's I think directed by the guy that did Blue Valentine. And oh, that's Place right. The and, Pines. and we were, that's right. Blue Valentine's very difficult, but Oscar level film. Right. Yeah. And th- that, yeah. that's more, that was harder. You, you were, you were more invested oh, yeah. in those people. Places Between the Pines, you, you got very, very invested in that story. I think he's a good story. filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This just was a little. It's just, I, I, there's a reason I think why this film is coming out now. So go and cry yes. and have a rainy day movie. And uh, it's kind of very sideways for me. But we are in Australia. Yes. It takes so place in let's, Australia let's with, a whole bunch of, with a whole bunch of British actors. Yes. yes, no one really sounded Australian. Not very many of them. It all, they did sound no. British, but not very Australian. Hello. So, um, so yes, the film sleepily looks at uh, post-World War One Australia. Um, as a history major in college, you know, as a history major at TCU, I took every war class that was available. I didn't realize, though, that there were so many Australians yes. in World War One, and so many Australians that that passed away. And 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 you, I think that we, as as many Americans and maybe modern day Americans, we look back and we think World War Two was was the biggest tragedy, and certainly more lives were lost. But up until World War One. A, a, a war, a, the lives lost up until that point. There had never been a war that that had lost that many lives. And if you if you travel around Europe, especially, you, I, I remember I was in San Sera a few years ago and and kind of stumbled upon walking through the village a, a memorial, just thinking in my mind, oh, this is going to be a World War Two memorial, and it's World War One, and that's all throughout Europe, and, and it's all throughout so many different um, countries, just because. There hadn't been a, a catastrophe and a tragedy of of the magnitude because so okay. so mm-hmm. many um, lives had been lost during that war. So, um, 
it's understandable why he needed to go and live on an island by himself. But I bet what he did have on that island, though we didn't see it very often, was probably a few bottles of wine. And one that would have been available to him and is still today is Jacob's Creek. So one of the kind of larger producers in Australia, but certainly one of the oldest, their history dates back to 1847 when Bavarian-born Johann Gramp um, planted his first vines um, on Jacobs Creek and Barossa Valley, and today still makes really kind of classic uh, Shiraz, which is their kind of signature drink, uh, signature grape, cab, big kind of hearty, um, intense, smoky, spicy, uh, bold wines. They they have something kind of cool that's kind of new though that they released not too long ago that. Um, they they've made this double barrel where they take um their they do it both with cab and shiraz that they take their kind of oak aged cab oak aged shiraz and then they add, they age it again in whiskey barrels in a different barrel in a different barrel so and from so, one barrel to another barrel and so it kind of where you're used to having kind of the traditional um, sweet spice, cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, cherry, blackberry, um, kind of flavors in just the regular kind of reserve Shiraz, adding this additional layer of 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 aging from these whiskey barrels, because usually whiskey barrels are American oak versus French oak. So you're going to have um, additional kind of toastiness. You get kind of caramel and toffee, um, sometimes some orange rind notes. So it just adds like mm. another layer of flavor to this wine. It's it's just kind of a cool concept. It's 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 not, you know, it's not the 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 wine that I'm gonna drink with everything, but it certainly is something that's kind of nice. It would be great with something hearty like a, yeah. a piece of, you know, lamb or it's a big steak fat or yeah, they're big they're big is wines. Is a Shiraz and a Syrah the same thing? It's um they're the same variety. They 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 started out the same, but then different clones kind of, and then okay. obviously as they morph through different plantings. But yes, they did start out as the same great variety of Syrah wow. coming from France. Wow, it's good. Jacob's Creek yeah. in Australia. Good history. Australian legend on a, <laughs> a film that probably is not going to end up being an a legend, legend in Australian <laughs> film lore. Hey, when we come back on Wine and Film, a perfect pairing, uh, a disturbing new World War II film. It's about the efforts to assassinate the third highest ranking officer in Hitler's Nazi regime. We both saw the film together. We've got a lot to say about it. It's called Anthropoid, and we will be right back. And we're back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Uh, both of us wandered into one of our favorite art house theaters in Dallas last week to take in a World War II spy movie. And it's based on a true story that I knew very little about. It's a film called Anthropoid, and it's a British-Czech co-production. It's filmed in Prague. It's written and directed by Sean Ellis. Don't know very much about him. I've never seen one of his films before. Anthropoid is based on the true story of Operation Anthropoid. That was the code name for these Czechoslovakian operatives. It was their mission to assassinate SS officer Rein, I think his name was Reinhard Heydrich, Heydrich. Uh, Heydrich was the main architect behind, and they always use this word, the final, the solution, final solution, and, and that term is so disturbing. Uh, he was the, the Nazi Reich's third in command behind Hitler and Himmler. 
He was the leader of the Nazi forces in Czechoslovakia. So it follows two soldiers from Czechoslovakia. They're in exile. They're out of the country. The Nazis have taken over. They um, parachute back into their occupied homeland. Uh, this is back in, I think, around 1941. Cillian Murphy plays one of them. Jamie Dornan plays another one. And they have very limited intelligence. They don't have hardly any equipment. They're in a city that's locked down, and they've got to find... They've got to find Heydrich and assassinate him. And it's it, it, so the first half of this movie, we're watching this together, and it's like a really slow British spy movie. Yes. Oh, we've got to find him. We, and by the way, they're in Czechoslovakia and they're Czechoslovakian, but they all sound British again. Well, and, um, and they, I understand that. Right. And they have come over from Britain, I think, because right. they kept referencing, oh, you know, we have to get word from London. And, right. And they so. probably trained there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and, they're, and so they're getting all their information from the Brits. Yes. You know, and as soon as Which is they can get a radio up and running yeah. barely. Yeah. yeah. But but they're in this environment where they have to stay hidden the whole time. And, of course, there's a girl or two involved, yes. and they're there for a long period of time. But they're just waiting for the day when they can figure out um, this guy's M.O. and where he's going to be at a certain time, and then they decide they're going to assassinate him. So all this is true story. Mm-hmm. And with, without giving any of this away, it becomes this epic tragedy. And an epic tragedy, I think, in in Czech history— and for and for the for the people, and I'm not going to say whether they assassinate him or not. You can find out well, it's in historical, books. sure, yeah. sure. But I, I think what what I found very odd about this film is both of these guys didn't really seem to have any idea what they were doing. <laughs> so you you send. I mean, did they get the job because they were Czechoslovakian? Did they get the job because they volunteered? Because they kind of seem a little bit clueless yeah <laughs> they've no like just their 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 mannerism for for putting you know getting from point a to point b they they just seem they just seem completely lost the whole time right and and right. It, it seemed it seemed odd that the allied powers would have put these two in that place right to to carry out this momentous task. Well, and then they're teamed up with another group of, there that ends up doing the whole task because there's a group of them together. But it, it is well, yeah. I mean, there were right. more than just two people that had um, that had parachuted in, and right. so they all did eventually kind of come together. But it was essentially these the job of these two gentlemen to to carry out the task. Well, they're not dumb, but they're not the brightest bulbs on the planet. So I, I don't I couldn't call these guys dumb. No. You know, of course, there's a whole historical backdrop to this whole thing. But in the movie, it's frustrating because you kind of wait for everything to go wrong. Right. And at some point, it pretty much does. Yeah. And, 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 and that's kind of the story that comes out of this is all, all of the aftermath and re- really the collateral damage that happens with their massive mess up of doing this. And you, and you want them to succeed so bad. And in a way, they do, but in a way, they don't. And it becomes this really tragic story. So there's two films here, Haley, for me. One is this very talky, very slow. When are they going to get to the mission? And then when they get to the mission, it becomes a very violent, very visceral, chaotic, in-your-face movie. It's like two different movies to me. I think the movie is directed really oddly. And I, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't know a lot about Sean Ellis, but I, I found his movie to be really disjointed, not shot as well as I wanted it to be shot. But I think the story is fascinating. And I think the second half, when it does get violent and visceral and become what it's really about, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is actually much more interesting than the first half for me. Mm-hmm. So once again, like the film before, I like slow movies. Right. 
but they better be smart and they better have a point. These guys didn't seem that smart. Yeah. And I wanted them to succeed. I so, mean, that's yeah. just what seems so odd. That, yeah. And, and you know, now, present day, knowing the history of, of everything that happened throughout World War II, it's mm-hmm. it's the, the tragedy that comes out of everything. And the, it, it again, it just seems really odd that, that the Allied powers would have sent these two guys. Well, and I don't want to judge these guys. No. Because just the effort that they go through to do this. I sure. Mean, it took a lot of time, a lot of planning, months and months, and, you know, a lot of lives were lost. But man, man, that was that's rough stuff, and it's a story I but didn't know anything like, about. You know, dude, you can't figure out how to work your gun. I mean, it's like, oh my gun's jammed. <laughs> I mean, it's a very really? frustrating. Yeah, really, and a really, really. Well, and obviously, much that's you know, this is based on a historical, you know. Yeah. But it did seem odd. So now I don't know if they, I don't know anything about. Czechoslovakian wine. Well, and this is I. I actually. I don't think of that area of the world that makes wine. I don't really either. Yeah. Um, but they do. They. Um, but I'm going to to kind of walk you down a little path and okay. just ask that you go with me to um, pulling a reference from World War One that we just talked about in now into World War Two, and I do think it's kind of interesting. The, the a lot of people say that. Um, how Hitler came into power was because of the after effects of World War One and the you know what the Treaty of Versailles did and how um, how Hitler was allowed to to go as you know get as high into the ranks as quickly as he did, um, which I, I, I think again history wise is just kind of fascinating and yes. and makes you just kind of look at present day a little bit. Um, we're always kind of looking back and then looking forward. But um, Czechoslovakia does make, they do actually have some vineyards. There are a couple different regions that um, within the Czech Republic today that do grow wine, Bohemia and Moravia. Moravia. Which mm-hmm. I am, uh, sadly, I have never had those wines. I and I would that. be fascinated. I would love to. They're um, usually producing aromatic white wines like Riesling, Sauvignon, uh, Mueller Thurgau. So I'm going to instead talk about another pre-World War One. Uh, so before World War One, Czechoslovakia was part of the Australian Austrian Hungarian regime. Mm-hmm. That another region that is one of my favorites in Italy was also a part of the Austrian Hungarian regime and the empire, um, which is Alto Adige. So I'm going to talk about my. You love Alto I, Adige. I'm going to talk about my little region of Alto Adige. So it's good stuff. Far northeast corner of Italy and um, had a chance to visit a couple years ago. And it's I, I, I'd certainly had a lot of the wines. There are some beautiful, very, very aromatic wines. And we obviously think of Pinot Grigio from that part of Italy, and that's one of the more popular. But Pinot Bianco, um, Gewürztraminer, lovely um, Sylvaner, and um, beautiful Rieslings. Um, there's actually a, a town called Traminer that some some people kind of question where Gewurztraminer actually originated. And I'm going to say just because there is a town that's actually called Traminer, it, that's where it originated. But in going there, I was kind of expecting Italy. You expect the, the red-tiled roofs and... Um, you get there and it's it's cottages. It looks it's looks very Bavarian. It looks very um, mm. very Germanic, and there's certainly a very heavy German influence in um, this region. and And the wines are really really incredible. So one of my favorites 
One of the oldest in the region is actually called Wilhelm Walsh, and um, Werner Walsh is actually in charge of that now. It's his family's wineries, but he had a... um, he has a, his family dates back to the 17th century, has a castle built by the Habsburg dynasty in 1620, Castle Rheinberg, that needed repairs. And so he brought in architect that, um, he brought in an architect that was originally supposed to kind of um, help with the reconstruction of the castle, and that's Elena Volch. And Elena Volch Came, uh, met Werner. They fell in love. They they decided while they worked on a castle. While they worked on a castle, they decide she decided wow. that she would leave her her architect trade behind, and instead she wanted to get into the wine business. And in doing that, instead of going to work with her husband, and I love a strong woman, um, she started her own winery, and it's Elena Volch. And they have two daughters, and instead of the daughters working with dad. Both the daughters actually work with their mom, and the their Gewurztraminer, their actual vineyard, one of their vineyards is actually right above that town of Traminer, and um, she makes a beautiful Merlot. They have a, she has a white blend called Beyond the Clouds that's a Chardonnay-based that has a, a handful of different very aromatic whites kind of Beyond blended the into clouds? Beyond the Clouds. What a great name. Um, really lovely, lovely wines, and I'm so excited. They had been uh, working on their distribution um, Throughout different states in the U.S., they um, the the production's not huge, so to get distribution in the U.S., it took them a little bit of time. But they're finally available in Texas. So, if anybody out there in Texas listening, then they are available now. And I'm just I I love the wines. I love their story. I love that she fell in love, but then was strong enough and yeah. and and independent enough to to create her own brand. And it's just really and a really female special. run winery. Yeah, back then. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, and it's, she actually, this was in the the, the 1980s, I want to say, yeah. that she started um, Elena Volch. So, it was, she was brought in to rebuild the castle, but um, but then started the winery in the, in the I think, mid-1980s. Oh, that's a great story. Love, See, it's yes. the history of See, wine. Yeah, had to, had, to, had to wrap it, you around there well, a little bit. Well, and I went on that with you, and it's also the, hist- you know, the movies about history or historical times. You know, we're all connected. Uh, it's wine and film. It is a perfect pairing. <laughs> hey, when we return, we're going to catch up on the life and times and the marriage and oh, the difficult Lord. times of Anthony Weiner. He's back in the news again, also subject of a documentary that we talked about a lot last week. And also, the passing of the great Gene Wilder is on our minds, and we will be right back. And we are back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. And last week, we talked at length about the award-winning documentary called Wiener, based on the life, well, and political scandal involving the former seven-time Democratic congressman from New York, the man with the unfortunate name, Anthony Weiner. And I'm going to just say up front his shameful sexting scandal that made him resign back then, then also when he ran for mayor unsuccessfully two years later for New York City mayor, another sexting scandal, uh, never even got near that vote. And wouldn't you know it, the political man with the unfortunate name has a bad habit and is back in the news again because this week— he just can't stop himself. You know, his wife is Huma Abedin, and Huma is one of the right-hand people for Hillary Clinton. Clinton in her bid for the presidential for president. 
and and she's been with her for years. And yes. he sexted he it. He just can't stop. He himself. took pictures of his private parts. Um, and one of the photos is very unfortunate because it has a toddler in bed his next child, to him. Yes, and is sexting to somebody that nobody knows. <sighs> And this has been going on a while, and she left him, and they have uh, separated. So I don't, I don't know any. You know, they've just made one statement about that. Yeah, it sounds like they might have been estranged for a while, but but right. yes. And I'm gonna say, I say it. it's sad to to see a family break up, but good for her. I'm. It, he just can't. He can't help himself. And I said last week, I think he's a complete narcissist who mm-hmm. also also is obviously incredibly insecure that he can't stop doing this. But stop, you know. I'm don't don't take your incredible wife down with you. And it's yeah. I'm, well, my my feeling too is even even if this happened now and she forgave him again, it's going to happen again. Yeah. This guy, he's he's headed down a bad road. He can't stop himself. And at some point, you don't feel sorry for him anymore. No, not at all. Not at all. And and she is a saint. I mean, she's amazing to me. Well, and yet, who knows what is in her closet? Who knows what's in any person's closet? Right. Stop putting it out in public. And, you know, what goes on between a man and wife, I, I certainly appreciate. And I think that's something they've said many times, that this is a part of our, our right. own private and life. And, yeah. and you feel for that child and you feel for for um, the breakup of a marriage. But at some point, you're right. You just yeah. kind of have to say, okay. Well, and according to the New York Post, their big headline was, Wiener Pops Out Again. And, and he just, he can't stop himself. No. Okay. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. To, and I say this with a smile and a sigh and a sense of melancholy because when people pass away, but that was a good life. You know, I knew he was very ill with Alzheimer's, but Gene Wilder uh, passed away this week at the age of 83. Um, let me just say movies like The Producers, Blazing Saddles, oh. Young Frankenstein, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Stir Crazy, Silver Streak, one of my favorite. A lot of people don't realize that Gene Wilder had a nice little part in Bonnie and Clyde, the Warren Beatty really? film. Very serious film and really one of the best films. I, I mean, it, it's probably in most 100 of all time best films list. Yeah. But Gene Wilder yeah. was in that film. Um, and, but they made a statement that he died from complications of, of Alzheimer's dis- disease at the age of 83. And we saw, um, uh, Mel, Mel Brooks, Brooks on with Jimmy Fallon this week. Night, and yeah. Mel, Mel's not young. No. And just the, the joy of him mentioning Gene Wilder in the same breath and got to work with him on these wonderful films. So I'm, I'm going to ask you your favorite Gene Wilder well, film, even though I know the it's answer. It's Blazing Saddles. I, it's so wrong, and it's so it's just so good. Everything about Blazing Saddles I, is wrong. I, and you couldn't do that <laughs> film today, I don't think. I don't think you can. I don't think you can say or do those things. And, and yet there's such a... Mel Brooks gets that. I mean, it, that's just it. It's not. Um, it's comedy. It, it's yeah. comedy at its at its best, and it's and every you know every every little every line has a purpose, and and to think of of of. Well, our buddy Burton Gilliam is in it. We know, yes, we know more Burton beans, Mr. Well. Taggart. More beans, Mr. Taggart. He's in the campfire scene. And oh, they dropped a beans. Burton's been living in uh, North Texas for a number of years and just a dear guy. He's also um, in uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, Flying Elvis's Utah <laughs> chapter. That's the great Burton Gilliam. But uh, but Lily Von Stoop, Lily Von Stoop, played by Madeline Kahn. The great Madeline Kahn. So great. Kahn. And I'm she tired. sings in the... Can you do a few <laughs> bars for us? So you grew up singing this song. Love. Of uninspired. I've been with thousands of men <laughs> again and again. They sing the same tune. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> 
no, I, I'm I, in I, awe. I, I digress. I'm in awe when you do. I Lily love Von some, some. I'm tired, and I just I I have such happy, and this is also just I don't know if it's bad parenting, but God, I have the funniest memories of watching Blazing Saddles with my family, and and actually my cousin Shibley and I both standing up and doing the entire I'm tired, the entire I'm tired. You and song. your cousin, yeah, Shibley, Shibley acts it out a little bit better than I can. But By the way, I, Haley I is a try. wine expert who has a cousin named Shibley. Shibley yes, it just kind of <laughs> happened that way. It, it, it actually did. after the region, not the bottle. Yeah. So uh, for me, um, so what's I, your I'm, favorite? I'm, well, I'm, I met him for the first time. I interviewed him a number of times over the years, and he always had that really funny little grin when you walked in the room with his wild hair. And you could ask him anything, but he was a very thoughtful man. He was, he'd look you in the eye and he would have very thoughtful conversations. But the first time I, I flew to New York, I'm staying at the Plaza Hotel, the legendary old hotel, and I'm interviewing, uh, Gilda Radner and Gene Wilder for Haunted Honeymoon, a really bad movie. It's, (laughs) it's not a good film, but they starred in it together. And I remember it's my first trip to New York and, I see them embrace at sunset. I'm romanticizing yeah. this, but not really. It really happened there. Standing they at had sunset a love in front of the Plaza Hotel, hugging each other. And I'd just done an interview with them earlier, and they were so sweet for this just horrible film. And yeah. I have really great memories of that. But you know, I, I, I interviewed him over the years a number of times, and he was just a really thoughtful, nice guy. And then he remarried after Gilda died. And has been married, uh, I mean, because that was years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, a she long died time. very young. Yeah, and, 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 and his wife took care of him. And I just, I, I, I look at like stir crazy where he's going, yeah, we're bad. Yeah. We're bad. He's white guy with an afro <laughs> going into a prison and he's just trying to act like one of the brothers and yeah. he can't. And he, he was always a fish out of water. But you know, he wrote Young Frankenstein along yeah. with Mel Brooks. Yeah. And, and he he knew his stuff. The, Young Frankenstein's a genius movie. It's a it's just a genius film. And Willy Wonka was a drug trip movie. Yeah, a lot of people think it's a kids yeah, film. Yeah, let's think take it was, the kids to see. It's like Hell's it was Wonderland. really long and slow. And a lot of people used it as a midnight movie drug trip movie. I can back in see the day. that. Yeah. What's, so, what do you find in your Buttercup? But I I you know I. I think he, I think he was just, he was kind of a blessing that we all got mm-hmm. to be a part of, yeah. I think. I, I don't have anything bad to ever say about the great Gene Wilder. I didn't really know he was that sick. So, mm-hmm. yeah. God Alzheimer's bless him. Alzheimer's is a bad thing. R.I.P. Rest in peace yeah. on the great Gene Wilder. Yeah. Hey, by the way, we've been watching something lately on TV. So, this is kind of fun, uh, shifting gears just a little bit. Um, if, if, any, if you haven't watched Roadies on Showtime, the last um, episode of this season just happened last week, but that, I'm sure you could get it on demand or iTunes or something like that. Um, I cried pretty much the entire the entire episode, this last episode, and it um, is from uh, Cameron Crowe that did Almost Famous, which is by far one of my most favorite films of all time. Kate Hudson's probably kind of breakout part. When they sing um, Tiny Dancer on the Bus oh my God. after a I'm drug trip. So, I'm so done. It's and a, it's and a great they find scene. Billy Crudup. And yeah. one of the best soundtracks, I think, in, in any film um, about kind of a essentially what I think was a true life story of mm-hmm. Cameron Crowe kind of growing up. The boy kind of yeah. is that, that kind of part. As a kid, he wrote for Rolling Stone. Yeah, right. Got the job. And um, so created roadies um, with Luke Wilson, Dallas guy, that the first episode, the first few episodes were a little tough. Um, we didn't think we'd make it. No, but then you get it. And, and I really wanted to, he also did Jerry Maguire. I mean, right. Cameron Crowe's had a, a great, a great film career, but he's also done some not so good films, kind of tough right. things. 
But, but then, it clicked in about episode three. And I got to say, just— Started to have some magic to well, it. Well, and just little things. Like, the the beginning of every show um, was a different song of kind of either they're, these roadies are setting up uh, in a different yeah. town. The um, the the bus ride, the the kind of just how they're they're putting the lights up and making the you know putting the stage down and the doing opening acts, the bands. Every, well, yes. and the different bands. And I think that the this last episode, the best oh, they they every episode had a song of the day, and the song of the day on the last episode was Jackson Brown doing Loadout, and it was just you know in the last. I'm not going to yeah. sing, but. It just was, there was such a, a celebration, not only of, of the characters within the show, but just good music. Really and, good music. And Eddie Vedder's in it, and it's just, yeah. They, all, they do a concert because something tragic happens, and they do a, they do a tribute concert. And yeah. it's just music for an hour of just really, really good stuff. Great music. And thoughtful, meaningful things. So the rap on that is it's sentimental. Oh, I loved it. I don't care. You know what? I don't care what people say about that. <laughs> the last episode of Roadies. I sure hope it gets picked like up. It's like watching an hour of CBS Sunday morning. It is. It's I hope like it, I hope it gets picked up from yeah. this camp. I hope it comes back next season because yeah, just stuff. just loved it. I, and I also, there's one scene in there uh, with Luke Wilson yeah. that I think is the best thing I've ever seen Luke That's Wilson ever do. Yeah, and we we love Luke and Owen from Dallas, but uh, that, I think it's one of the best things he's ever done. Hey, good conversation, and yeah. God bless the the last episode of Rodies, and <laughs> God bless the late Gene Wilder. Yeah. Uh, next week, Oscar winning director Clint Eastwood. Teams up with Oscar-winning actor Tom Hanks. They're recreating the experience of airline pilot Sully Solenberg, which was back in 2009 when he landed that U.S. Airways jet on the Hudson River and saved 155 lives. This film is based on his autobiography, and the film is called Sully. And also, a very special event that Haley and I have coming up in just a few weeks with the Dallas Arboretum. So if you're in North Texas, um, listen to this. We're going to be hosting a special Favorite Things event on September 28th at the Dallas Arboretum. I'll be discussing some of my favorite films, show scenes from them, uh, many of them that we've talked about on the show. And Haley's going to pair some stellar wines. So it's a wine tasting and then clips from movies, and we'll talk through the whole itinerary. Kind of what we do here, kind but we're we going to do, do it live. You but actually get to drink the wine. <laughs> you get to drink the wine and see the stuff that we're talking about. The tickets are available right now on the Dallas Arboretum website. Yeah, it's on their adults program, yeah. I think. And and we'll have a link on our website and our Facebook pages and everything. Um, and we're also very, just a few short hours, we're going out to Sonoma this weekend for the Sonoma Wine Country Weekend and Auction. So I'm sure we'll have a few fun things to say about that next week also. But if you'd like any more information on the wines or films that we talked about today, be sure to check out our blog on our website, Cogill Consulting. Follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill and see what we're drinking now and a little bit of this fun in Sonoma. Um, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.